Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told about old faithful Abraham, that he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And just as Abraham was looking for that city, so too every believer is looking for the same city. Every Christian ought to be looking to heaven. Every Christian ought to be longing for heaven. Every Christian ought to be living for heaven. This morning I gave you a quote from old Billy Sunday. He was quite a character. and I'll give you another one from him this evening. Billy Sunday once said, If we could get a real appreciation of what heaven is, we would all be so homesick for heaven that the devil wouldn't have a friend left on earth. What a great quote. If we could only get a real appreciation of what heaven is and what's awaiting the believer, then surely the devil wouldn't have a friend. Now when you consider heaven, it's an interesting study in the Bible. The Bible teaches that there are actually three heavens. First of all, the, there is the atmospheric heaven above us. And you find that that is indeed where the birds fly. We can talk about the heavens. Then there's the planetary heavens. That's where the sun and the moon and the stars dwell. But then there's also a third heaven. And this is one that the Bible calls the third heaven. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was caught up by the Spirit to the third heaven. And this is the heaven where God dwells. Someone said we saw the first heaven by day. We see the second heaven by night. But we see the third heaven by faith. And we're given in this wonderful passage of scripture here tonight in Revelation chapter 21, a little snapshot of this third heaven. And it's an unbelievable sight that the Bible gives us. Though it is an accurate description, we know it is by no means an exhaustive description. Because the Bible tells us, I have not seen, ear not heard, neither hath have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And so when we come to study heaven, we get little glimpses, but certainly we cannot get indeed a full comprehensive picture. I'm reminded of a little boy that was out walking one night with his grandfather. It was one of those beautiful starlit nights and the sky was blue. It seemed like millions of stars were just dancing in the night sky. And the little boy pulled on his grandfather's coattail and he said, Grander, if heaven is so beautiful on the outside, I wonder what it looks like on the inside. Well, here in Revelation chapter 21, we've got an inside look of what heaven is like. And especially as it speaks here about this new Jerusalem. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is the blessing of this city. The blessing. As we think about this city, it's a wonderful thing to consider and to meditate. And there are a couple of things that come out of this passage of Scripture. And the first one we have to say tonight is what we're thinking about tonight is very, very real. Heaven is a real place. John emphasizes in the first two verses of this chapter that this new heaven, this new earth and this new Jerusalem are actual places that he really saw. This city is not the spiritual fragment of someone's sanctified imagination. It's a literal and a real place. And that comes very obvious when you read this chapter. From verses 15 down to verse 17, 
were given the measurements of the city. You wouldn't get that if it wasn't real. From verses 18 to 21, we're given a list of the materials of this city. And both of these things signify that this is a very real place. And this ties in exactly with what the Lord Jesus Christ himself preached when he was upon this earth. In that well-known passage of scripture in John chapter 14 in the verse 2, wasn't it the Lord who said, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is not some ethereal nothingness that cannot be seen. It's a real, literal, actual place. In fact, when you come to think about it from a scriptural point of view, heaven is more real than this earth. And the heaven you cannot see is more real than the heaven you can see. Why? Because it's eternal. This earth one day will pass away. We know the world was once destroyed by a flood. We know the Bible prophesies a second time when this world will be destroyed not by a flood but by fire. But we know that indeed heaven is eternal. So it's very, very real. But it's also a renewed place. You'll notice in verses 1 and 2 here, we're told that we're going to have a new heaven. We're going to have a new earth. We're going to have a new Jerusalem. And that word new doesn't just mean new in time, but it also refers to new in kind. That is, it's going to be a different kind of heaven. And when there's a new earth, it's going to be a different kind of earth to the one that we know today. We know this, for example, we're told specifically there at the end of verse 1, that when there is the new earth, there'll be no more sea. Now you think about it. They tell us around 70% of this planet is covered by the oceans. But in the new earth, there'll be no more sea. That'll be a far different earth to the one that we now know because this world is going to pass away. You'll find that this world is doomed. Satan may be the ruler of this world, but he's sailing a sinking ship. This world is going to go up in smoke, as we're told in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, it's amazing when you study the Bible and then you listen to what some of these clever men try to tell us today. You know, the ungodly scientists try to tell us that this world came into being with a, with a big bang. Well, they're half right. They were just going in the wrong direction. You see, the world did not come into being with a big bang, but definitely when you read that passage of Scripture, it's going to go out with a big bang. The Bible says, with a great noise, and the elements, and indeed shall melt with fervent heat. This world was created by God, but one day the Lord is going to come and make it all again new. But that shouldn't worry the Christian too much. Some time ago, someone was talking to old Mark Twain and they said, I'm afraid the world is coming to an end. There's always someone's got a word to encourage you for the day, isn't there? Imagine someone coming up to you and saying, I'm, I'm worried this world is going to come to an end. And old Mark Twain just laughed. He said, that's all right, we can get along without it. You know, he knew there would be a new heavens and a new earth. This old world is going to be made a new world. You see... That's the whole message of salvation. When a person gets saved, they become a new creature in Christ. When I got saved, I became a new creation. 
I'm still me, but I'm a new me, purged by the fire of redemption. And when I die, I'm going to get a new body. I'll have a new body purged by the fire of resurrection. And one of these days, there's going to be a new earth, purged by the fire of regeneration. That is, it's going to be the same earth, but it's going to have a new set of clothes upon it. Or at least that's exactly how the Bible describes it in Psalm 102 and verse 25, where the psalmist said, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. What an amazing thing. The Lord is going to change this world. In fact, this new earth will be so different from the old one that the old one will be forgotten. We're told in Isaiah 65 and 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Such will be the wonder when we enter into the presence of God and we get a new earth and a new heavens and a new Jerusalem. And indeed the Lord makes all things new. We won't even want to think back again to these old days and this old world of sin. So this is the blessing of the city. You know, whenever you come to Christ, all you get is blessing. Salvation is blessing. I'm always amazed at people who don't want to get saved. That oh, Not today, I'll put it off. And yet all the Lord wants to do is bless you. The blessing of the city. But let's also notice here the beauty of this city. Now I know this city is going to be beautiful because it's described in verse 2 as a bride adorned for a husband. Have you ever seen a bride that was not beautiful? I never have. I've seen a couple that just barely made it, but I've never seen one that wasn't beautiful. So this city is going to be beautiful. Why is it going to be beautiful? Because it's going to have the beauty of the presence of God. This is brought out in verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You see, what really makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. Heaven is where the Lord is. He'll live with us. He will dwell with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. Right now the believer lives by faith. Physically we're separated from the Lord. We have his spirit but bodily the Lord is seated in heaven on the right hand of the Father on high. But the day will come when we'll be united with him, never ever to part again. You know, once God walked with men every day in the Garden of Eden, There was that time when daily fellowship was enjoyed between them. But man sinned in the garden and that fellowship was broken. But there's going to come another day when God will once again walk with his children, not in a garden, but in glory. Not in time, but in eternity. There'll be no longer the need to pray, our Father which art in heaven, because we'll be in heaven with our heavenly Father. As the hymn writer says, he'll walk with me and he'll talk with me and he'll tell me I am his own. So just imagine the beauty of being there in the very presence of Christ. 
Imagine what that will be like. And then also we're told in verse 4 that this heavenly city will have an absence of grief and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. You know, for some people that are going through this world, suffering daily in pain and agony. This is one of the most thrilling verses in the Bible for them. When human hands wipe away tears in earthly cities, those tears can return again. But when heavenly hands wipe away those tears in the eternal city, those tears will never ever return again. Just think of it. There'll be no more broken homes. There'll be no more broken hearts. There'll be no more broken hopes. There'll be no more broken health. And what an amazing thing it'll be to be in this place where there'll be no more dying, no more crying, no more sickness, no suffering, no sorrow. It'll be wonderful to be in this place. You know, it's interesting when you study down this passage of scripture, just to think of the amount of people that'll be unemployed in heaven, you know, when you think there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, just think all the doctors and nurses will all be out of a job. We can go down a whole list here. There's a whole lot that come to mind, you know. There'll be no graves and no cemeteries. So the undertaker, he'll be out of a job as well. There'll be no obituary columns in the newspaper. There'll be no funeral processions over those golden streets because death will be swallowed up in victory. What a wonderful thing that'll be. You know, the beauty of this city. So we can think indeed about the blessing of it. We can think about the beauty of it. But then we can also think about our behaviour in the city. Now, of course, every city must have laws in order for a city uh, to have order. And you'll find that there are three rules that rule this heavenly city. First one is the law of satisfaction. You see it there in verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Just think about it. Every thirst, every God-given desire will be totally and completely satisfied in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ will be supplying all of our needs. He's the Alpha and Omega, that is the the beginning and the end. Just think, Christ is the very conception of all things and he's also the consummation of all things and he's also the connection of all things in between. He'll satisfy every thirst and every hunger. You know, we're living in a world today where people are not satisfied. doesn't matter how much they get, they're not content. They want more. And no matter how much more they get, it never fills indeed the hole within them. There are some people I know and they're not Christians and they just think if I could just get more and more of the world. There's no contentment there. And I love quoting that little verse, godliness with contentment is great gain. But you see in every man and woman there is that void within them if they're not saved. And it doesn't matter how much of the world you put into that void, it'll never fill it. It's only the Lord who can fill that that God-shaped, indeed, void that is there. Satisfaction. And then in verse 7, we see the law of service. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. 
We're plainly told here that we have an inheritance. We're going to inherit all things. We're going to be the executors and administrators, as it were, of God's estate. You see, God gave to Adam the first estate, which was this earth. God gave him dominion over the earth. He told him to reign and to rule over it. But Adam sinned and he forfeited that inheritance and he lost his first estate. But God is going to restore man's lost inheritance through the second Adam, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and will once again rule and reign and serve the living God. You see, heaven is not just a place of resting. It's a place of ruling. It's not just a place of leisure, but of labor. In fact, over in the the next chapter, the last chapter of the Bible, tells us in verse 3 that in heaven his servants shall serve him. Do you remember the time when the Lord was upon this earth and he told the parable of the talents? He said to a man who was faithful with ten talents, he said, you will be faithful over ten cities. Do you ever think about that? God is getting us ready down here for a work to do up there. You know, and I think some Christians today have the wrong idea of heaven. I think there are some believers and whenever you talk to them about heaven, they look at it as some sort of eternal retirement home where you'll be sitting on a fluffy cloud and perhaps getting fanned uh, by, a, by an angel. But I don't think that's the picture that the Lord gives me of heaven. I think we'll be serving the Lord in heaven and I think we'll have all of eternity to proclaim to the angels the old, old story of Jesus and his love satisfaction, service. And then in verse 8, you've got security. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Heaven will be a sweet and safe place to be. There'll be no need to lock your doors at night. Because first of all, there'll be no night there. There'll be no need to fear the criminal. There'll be no criminals there. So just think, the policeman will be out of a job. The judges will be out of a job. Like so I've often thought, I've never done it, but I've often thought I'd love to preach sometime down this passage about all the people that'll be unemployed when they get to heaven. But the Lord will have something new for them to do. Only righteousness and holiness will abound. Just think of the blessing that'll be to the believer. We're living in a world today that knows nothing about righteousness and holiness. You know, those that have the rule over us are bringing in all the sin and wickedness of the day. And we long for righteousness. We long for holiness. And that longing will be satisfied in glory. Our behavior in the city. And then we can also think about the brightness of this city. You see, when you look there at verses 9 to 11, you'll see it says there, And there came unto me one of seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone, clear as crystal." Twice over there we're told 
that this city comes down out of heaven. It's almost as if it's hovering over the new earth, but it's going to also be a part of the new heaven. But more importantly, we're told in verse 11 that it's going to have the glory of God. Now that's one of the great mysteries. The glory of God. It's one of those mysterious subjects in the Bible. How do we describe the iridescent glory of God? Can you imagine a place where the glory of God abounds? You know, when we read in the Old Testament, Solomon finished building that magnificent temple. The Bible tells us that when the glory of God filled that magnificent house, it was so great and so mighty that the priests could not even enter into it to minister. They had to leave the building. And that's why I'm excited about heaven. You know, it's a mysterious place. And I believe it's going to take us all of eternity to explore our new home. And it's a very majestic city. When you look at the description there in verses 18 to 21, and we're just going down them very briefly tonight as we can't spend a long time in them, but you see there it tells us, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Then it goes on to tell you, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, and so on. You can go all the way down them. We're told there uh, in verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. The street of the city was uh, pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. What a city this is going to be. The streets are made of gold. And it's not 24 karat gold either. But it's 100% pure gold because it's totally transparent. And there are gates of pearl and we're told that each gate will be a solid pearl. There'll be walls of jasper and embedded in those walls will be precious jewels such as sapphire and emeralds. That's why I always tell my wife, I <coughs> promised her when we got married that I'll shower in jewels, but she'll just have to wait till we get to heaven before she gets them. They'll all be there in the walls. What an amazing day that will be. And how good and how precious is our God and how much love does the Lord have for his people to prepare such a wondrous place for those that love him. And this is going to be a very big city. If you look at verses 15 to 17, it's really mind-blowing here when you get into this. It says, And he talked with me. Uh, he had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And then you'll be given dimensions here. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. So first of all, we see here this city is going to be a perfect cube. It's going to have the same length, the same height, and the same breadth. And what is amazing is when you convert these figures, the length, the breadth, and the width of the city is approximately 1,500 miles. Just imagine a city. Now, to put that in perspective, that's the distance from Ulster to Italy. Not that I want you to go and visit the Pope, but that's the distance. You just think, 1,500 miles. You imagine a city that stretches from Northern Ireland to Italy. The same again in breadth. 
and then the same again in height. Now, just to give you an example, I was looking that up on a map. It'll be so huge, it'll cover all of Ireland, all of Great Britain, all of France, all of Spain, all of Germany, all of Austria, all of Italy, all of Turkey, and half of Russia. And that's just the base floor. Why so large? Well, I believe this is the Lord's way of telling us there's room for everybody. You know, when the Lord was born into this world, remember there was no room for him in the end. But you know, friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, if you don't have that assurance of salvation, let me tell you tonight, there's room for you in this beautiful city of God if you come to Christ. So we see here the blessing of the city, the beauty, the behavior, the brightness. But let me finish by talking to you about the best thing about this city. And you say the best thing. So far it looks pretty good. Well, let me tell you the best thing in verses 5 and 6. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The best thing about this city is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of this city. He's the sum and substance of heaven. And dear friend, it's not the pearly gates, it's not the golden streets, it's not the angelic choir that makes heaven heaven. You can lock the gates, close the streets, shut down the choir. But if you had Jesus Christ, then you'd still have heaven. As someone once wrote, the light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. And the duration of heaven is the eternity of Jesus. And the fullness of heaven is Jesus Christ himself. If you look there at verses 23 and 24, you'll see the Lord is the light of the city. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Christ is not only the light of this world. He is the light of his world. This is a world where because Christ is the sum and substance, there is no night. There is no darkness. As the prophet of old said long ago, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. And not only is he the light of the city, but he's also the life of the city. In chapter 22, as you come into the last chapter of the Bible and the first two verses, we're told, and he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There'll be no generators, there'll be no water towers, there'll be no... Uh, energy shortages of any kind 
in heaven, there'll just be a river of life and a tree of life. And both of those speak about Christ because he is the living water and he is the life. In other words, he's going to sustain us for all eternity. Now, folks, we've gone down this chapter very, very quickly tonight. But let me just say that as you read down this passage of Scripture, it presents you with the very glories and the wonder of heaven. But I'm reminded in closing of the story of a little boy who was born blind. The doctors in his case had determined that they could perform surgery on the little boy to correct his blindness. So they did perform the surgery on this little boy. And the next scene takes place in the doctor's office as they begin to unwrap the gauze from around the little boy's eyes. He removes the pads from over his eyes and the doctor says to him, Now son, open your eyes, but very slowly. Remember the little boy's been born blind. This will be the first time that he sees. And as he does, the doctor can see by the smile that begins to twitch across his face that the little boy can see the light. That little boy opens his eyes and he begins to blink as they come into focus. When he does, the first thing he sees is the face of the doctor. He turns then and he sees the face of the nurse. And then he turns to the other side and for the very first time he sees the face of his mother. And for the first time he sees a mother's tears as she's crying for joy. He got up and he walked over to the window and they'd pulled the curtains closed but he pulled them open. For the first time he saw things that you and I just take for granted. He saw the sky but not just the sky, he saw the beautiful blue sky. He saw the grass but not just grass, he saw glorious green grass. He looked and saw a rose but not just a rose, a ruby red rose. And finally he turned to his mother and with tears in his eyes, he said, Mummy, why didn't you tell me how beautiful it was? And she simply said, Son, all of your life I've tried to tell you, but you had to see it for yourself. And you know, friends, I've tried to tell you tonight just how beautiful and how wonderful heaven is. But let me say this, you need to see it for yourself. And only a select group will see this city. This group is found in Revelation 21 and verse 27 where it says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only ones that will ever gain entrance into this heavenly city. The only ones that will have a home reserved for them in heaven are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so I wonder tonight, if you're in this meeting and you're not a Christian, or you don't have assurance of salvation, please don't miss out on the love of Christ and the very wonder of heaven and the greatest gift that God can give any man, woman or young person, that gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. As the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Don't miss out on seeing this, but come tonight with the eye of faith. Look to Christ and know that tonight you won't leave this meeting without him. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's bow together in prayer.
Our gracious God and eternal Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you and Lord, we confess that we're overwhelmed as we read down this chapter this evening. And Lord, we've just very quickly scratched the surface of it. But Father, we pray tonight for every man, woman and young person in this meeting. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who haven't as yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good, oh, that tonight you'll draw them to thyself. Take away every excuse. Take away every stumbling block. Lord, may they not miss out on indeed the greatest blessing they can ever receive in life. Come tonight, we pray. Draw them with the cords of Calvary love. Take the scales from off the eyes. And oh, that tonight, Lord, thou would come and save precious souls for Jesus' sake. Amen.